Welcome to the Depth Chart Podcast, proudly brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. It's Ford Truck Month at Jack Kane Ford, where you can go save a lot of money, buy a nice truck, buy a nice car, eat some popcorn, talk to the Kane family, who, uh, as you'll learn about later in the show, is gracious and generous to the community in giving. Uh, we bought there. You'll love it there. It's at Kane Ford Inc. on Twitter. Follow them at Kane Ford on uh, on the internet and then like us on Facebook and you see all kinds of nice reviews and it is a no hassle sell service so you will enjoy your time there I was at Jack Kane Ford yesterday we will get to why at the end of the show I think you're going to want to stick around to hear why um, I think you're going to want to stick around to hear something else too yes so um, my name is Freddie Maggard and I am your gracious host today mm-hmm. and and I am in a very good mood, and I am in a forgiving mood and loving mood. Really? Uh, since, you know, I have not been happy since uh, the Music City Bowl. Really? I have, couldn't I, tell by your Twitter account. I have voiced some uh, some displeasure in how that bowl game, how that athletic contest between student-athletes uh, took place. Uh, but I, let me say this, in all seriousness, my discourse, my unhappiness my uneasiness has nothing to do with the win-loss situation again my viewpoint on bowl games or exhibitions and the win-loss I think and um, we'll talk about this topic later I think Kentucky galvanized and re, re, regained some of the big blue nation with its effort uh, but the win-loss the fact that Kentucky lost a football game is not why I have not been the happiest person in the world over the past five days. Here's what, here's what has really uh, put a burr under my saddle. Coal miners from eastern Kentucky work hard, two, three shifts extra, save money, travel their family to Nashville, play an exorbitant amount of money for hotels in Nashville, which are roughly about the same as uh, Times Square on New Year's Eve in New York. Lawyers from Northwestern and Western Kentucky, same thing. You can fill in the blank. Farmers, people work hard to save money to make a trip for a game that's an exhibition for the fans, only to have that taken away by ejecting the game's two best players. Benny Snell, running back. First topic we're going to discuss. Benny Snell tackled first of all before we get into the should be penalty in my opinion of late hit or uh, uh, excessive whatever extracurricular activities Benny Snell stepped out of bounds play was dead play was not blown dead the play continued Benny Snell was hit after the after the whistle was thrown to the ground there was incidental contact between Benny Snell and the White Hat referee. Benny Snell ejected from the game. I know there's basketball people listening to this. And I know there's basketball people in this room. As a football nerd like me, watching Benny Snell versus Patty Fisher would be like you all watching John Wall versus Seth Curry. This is a once-in-a-lifetime situation for me to see these two athletes go at it. And I thought I got cheated. The 50,000 people in that stadium got cheated. Because in no sense, in my opinion, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, slandering this referee. I'm not mentioning him personally. I'm not mentioning his I don't even know his name. But the fact that Benny Snell was ejected for incidental contact, and was later explained. How was it explained afterwards by the referee, by the Pac-12, and by that? It was enforced by the that it was a result of Benny Snell's actions. Oh, really? I might have a picture here of that, uh, and I know that this is not That's good good radio. But does that picture look like Benny Snell is initiating contact with the referee? Mm, no. Looks like the referee's reaching over. This picture and will be up on the him. broadcast. At Fred also, on Twitter. Also, <laughs> here we go. If you've ever worn a helmet, we're up. <laughs> Benny Snell was on the ground. You wore a helmet with a visor. Your viewpoint is not that great. 
You see hands. How do you know whose hands that is, right? My point is, in an exhibition game, when fans are paying all this money, is that a, an ejectable play by Benny Snell? In my opinion, and this is my opinion alone, that would be hell no. That would be I got cheated out of watching one of the best running backs in college football go against one of the best run defenses in college football and one of the best linebackers. That's play, that, that, that's play number one. Roundtable discussion, Andrew Eaton. So I was at the game, didn't have your vantage point on the sidelines, but was actually sitting um, behind the Northwestern bench, probably about 20 rows, and sitting around some really classy Northwestern fans. We actually, hey, we actually the, had a lot of fun with those guys. Love, hats off to Pat Fitzgerald, that team, that fan base. Yeah, we had a, respect. We had a lot of fun, and they couldn't believe it either. You know, it's kind of like these were the human versions of like Mike, Mike Greenberg and some of these guys that were taking to Twitter, um, not being able to understand what was going on. But they were dogging when they saw the flag come out. I remember this happening in real time. Now, keep in mind, it's on the other sideline because it's on the Kentucky sideline. Right. When they saw the flag come out, they were dogging their guys because they were just assuming that it was obviously a late hit. You know, I mean, what else could it have been? And then the next thing you know, we see – not only do we see the penalty being enforced on Benny Snell, but we see him turning and walking away. Right. And from where we were at the time, you know, Twitter wasn't loading really well because of, in the stadium I had no idea what was going on. And I just assumed something got out of hand and something got a – you know, had a scuffle. And then when I saw it, I just – I couldn't believe it. One thing for the ref, like, has this, has this guy – again, I'm not going to name names – but has he ever been around sports? I mean, you when you step into somebody's like space, yeah, you know with that in that immediately. Right. You know, I mean, I can remember um, even times when players get hot at each other. You know, you, in Kentucky, in Kentucky's perspective, maybe Demarcus Cousins. You know, like if you're in his space too early, something's probably going to get said, shoved, or done. You know, and. I felt like this guy, does he have just no awareness at all that he's playing like a, a ridiculous contact sport? And for him to be like right on top of a, a man that was tackled, of one of the most passionate football players in America. One second that. after he was tackled, you know, like that yeah, just seemed but a little. Andrew, you forget how big this guy's ego is, okay? So it's so big, he can't be stopped by anybody. I mean, impenetrable force. I don't know how he keeps that white cap on top of his head, to be honest with you. Adam Sparks after the game. This is a tweet. Tennessean reporter that was uh, Music City Bowl referee Chris, and I'm not even going to say the guy's last name, on Benny Snell ejection. The player got up and grabbed my arms and pushed them away and contacted me. That's a foul. Almost like there are no TV cameras in existence. I have, I have, uh, in this game, there were two calls that people that know what they're talking about have said that was the worst call they've ever seen in the history of football. We're talking about number one with Benny Snell, right? Benny mm-hmm. Snell no longer in the game, in the locker room. That changes the course of the game mm-hmm. for the long term. Kentucky is a different team. You only have one running back. Kentucky is not a uh, not a seven and five team without Benny Snell. Right? No, no. Benny Snell's out the lock, out the out of the game. Totally uncalled for. Totally overstepping the boundaries of the moment. Again, it's an exhibition game. This is not the national championship playoff series. This is the bowl games now have been watered down. The BCS started the spigot of water. Now the the champ the playoffs have poured gallons of water to dampen the the bowl system. Now with the early signing period, that's three factors. Coaches are gone now. Right, coaches up and leave before the the games. Unless you're Scott Frost. Pl- uh, yeah, yeah, I love that. By the way, players gone. Born, I mean, a lot of the really good players are not playing in these bowl games. They're exhibitions. I realize they count as records. I realize that it counts as a win or loss. But when the NCAA does not even have control or management of its football national championship, its top revenue-producing sport. You're trying to tell me that a Music City Bowl is the most important game in the world when it's nothing but a glorified Maui Classic game? Bullcrap. Know your position. Let the players decide the game. 
I overstepped it, okay? The first questionable call, I was five feet from it. Now, in my baseball playing game days, I may have chewed a little bit of Levi Garrett, and I could put my fingers up by my mouth, and I could spit about 10 yards. Mm-hmm. I could have spit on Derek Beatty and the Northwestern receiver. That's how close I was to that play. My ears, uh, you know, a lot of my body doesn't work. My knees hurt, hands hurt, but my ears work okay, right? It's pretty cold. When the Northwestern's receiver body was touching the ground after Derek Beatty put him aggressively to the ground, it's when this whistle started blowing. If the offensive player is going to be deemed helpless and stopped action, let his butt take a knee. If you're stopping to go forward, take a knee so the defensive player doesn't know to continue to play. Mm-hmm. The offensive receiver was continuing to try to evade, get away from Derek Beatty. Derek Beatty did what he had to do to get the player to the ground. First personal foul. Egregious. The whistle was blown when the guy hit the ground. Why was that a foul? You know, I think I saw um, – Too saw, rough? It, well, in the, in the NFL, is it illegal to do the – Yeah, just, you can't swing. Is that just, I think it's a swinging motion. Is that just motion, the NFL? I think I'm that sure there that. was so much physicality that the ref was like, oh, gosh, that's got to be a foul. This is real football. I don't know about all this. Yeah. I'm not used to this in I mean, the Pac-12. I in, in, the Pac-12. And I know it's a lot of uh, – I'm using sarcasm a lot. But, well, I'm, I mean, you know, I can, but live, thing, I, can, I can live with it because it didn't change the course of the game, such as Benny Snell and Patty Fisher. But to my opinion, it goes back to when is football now – the fit, when, when has the physicality of football been taken away as badly as it has that I've seen in this bowl season? Well, and the thing that was frustrating to your main overarching point about being flag happy just in general with a lot of these calls is that there's no, there was no need. You know, it's one thing if you're Kentucky Louisville and you're fighting on the first series at the goal line and dudes are throwing trash cans, then you need to reel everybody back in because it could get dangerous. No. It was not dangerous. Like, in any sort of – the matter at all it was a good it was it, tur- it actually ended up being a pretty good football game outside of the chaos that was taking place I with the let me that. ask the daggone question here there was a difference in Derek Beatty taking slamming that player on the ground and the northwestern player slamming Benny to snail on the ground after he stepped down the bounds and after the whistle blown and we not even got to the Steven Johnson being 16.2 feet out of bounds still being hit what's the daggone difference none uh, that well, the biggest difference is that the other ones were more egregious, the okay. ones that didn't get called because they were farther out of bounds. I know Snell, the ref just missed him stepping out of bounds because he was yeah. the play was dead, but he the play was more dead in Snell's case than in the one with Derek Beatty where they Absolutely. quote unquote blew the whistle. I, I didn't remember hearing Absolutely. that. Absolutely, I and I also as we're talking about all these, I really hope that there's that guy's boss is like going through a checklist because. When your job, when you don't do it the right way, you should be held accountable. The problem that all officiating has is we don't know if any of these guys are being held accountable. I mean, from every sport with uh, Giannis stepping out of bounds and dunking for a game winner to this to any sport – we don't know. There's, there's no transparent accountability. I mean, it's again, I want to put this out there. People make mistakes. I don't want this guy to lose his job. I don't want any. I don't want anything negative to happen. I'm just pointing out the duality of the interpretation of football rules in college football right now. We've not even started on the targeting yet. Okay, the duality. Okay, we're going to penalize Derek Beatty when the same thing happened to Steven Johnson and, and Benny Snell and, the, and no flags were called. And in essence, the flags were called against Kentucky. Two flags that changed the course of the game, the game's outcome. And I didn't care about the win and loss. It's an exhibition game. This brings me to my third point. I, I was very proud of Mark Stoops for maintaining his cool when in a game he could have easily went ballistic. Which he has before, and it's caused Kentucky to suffer. I was Again, I hate to keep saying it because it's just my job I have to be down there. Mark Stoops kept his cool during this when I don't think I would have. And I didn't, and I've not. And normally you all know me as somebody that, that remains somewhat calm, right? But when I see – You were in Nashville. I mean, like, there was – You're automatically little, at a disadvantage A little extra there. edge in the air for you. Uh, don't get me started. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we talked about the Beatty hit. We've talked about the snail hit. Did anybody hear what Booger McFarlane and Tim Tebow said about the 
Benny Snell incident. They were they not were happy. What did they say, Nicholas Roush? I did not hear. I don't remember verbatim. Jack, do you remember verbatim? I can pull it up if you'd like, if you gave me a No, just, just give us a ballpark. They, they said that the the referee should not take the game out of the, the player's hands. You mean the players should be able to play? Should, should decide the game, yeah. Oh, if players decide the game. Yeah. Oh, that's a noble concept. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, I think that's rather dinosauric uh, approach to today's application of some rules, but I I, I agree, especially in a game that was not on the schedule, that hardworking people from Chicago, Northwestern, Eastern Western, Kentucky paid to to spend $8,000 a night for a motel room in Nashville and tickets in a celebration of the fans. It's a novice – concept to let the players decide the game i'm sorry go ahead jack i don't know I, well yeah, yeah. I, I i did have a point that that has been you know just to play devil's advocate a little bit i think benny snell is kind of using this as as a bit of advantage towards him because oh, yeah. i mean the national spotlight was on benny snell for a night he was trending twice nationally yeah. back to back on you know thanks to mark friday night, on friday night and saturday night after mark rick so let me ask you this jack for, for older fans and for for non-tech savvy people like me, what does that mean? Trending twice. So, on the Twitter verse, Twitter on in the Twitter world, when right. uh, X number of people tweet about a, a given subject, yeah, um, they it says that they are trending nationally, meaning they are the most talked about subject oh, okay. in the country at that given time. So okay. right. in, so a me- it- in a measly Music City Bowl that uh, going into it, not, not many people expected right. to have high ratings or whatever. Benny Snell was a center of attention. All the national media folks said, hey, the best, one of the best running backs in college football and probably one of the top three or four running backs in the nation – that you will see next year was just ejected from this game. It made people switch over to this this football game and go, okay, so what's going on here? Other, other they than, kept talking about it, and a, a six six rush fifteen yard game ended up being you know the national coming the, the out party. Uh, so, so like, Rick Rash wrote a great article about that. By the way, that was a good thank you, thank you. So like to to even put it in dumber terms, when Freddie first got on Twitter and he didn't know what was where. He would see on the left side of the screen the top ten things everybody in the country's talking about, and at the top of it was Benny Snell. Okay, okay. He so, was the number one talked okay. about person in, in the nation. So I for a you. running back that did, honestly did not get enough credit that that he deserved this past year for being yeah. as, as elite as he is, this was kind of a okay. He didn't get the chance to. Fa- national fans now know about him. I, I mean, I was seeing ESPN, Fox Sports, CBS Sports yeah. guys that rarely talk about the Kentucky Wildcats were talking about Benny Snell and his elite status and said, hey, this guy rushed for this many yards, this many touchdowns. This is an elite dude. You had some and brought attention to okay. this, this Big player. Big media guys. I mean, yeah. yeah massive Seth Myers, yeah. Keith Oberman. It helps that you're playing a school where a lot like of those guys that. came yeah. from. But, and and but the even, Northwestern writers and media people were, oh. ripping, were ripping the individuals in charge of uh, – Blowing uh, the whistles? Of blowing the whistles. I'm trying to be nice here. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it also is worth noting to all the people, too, who are like, it's just the Music City Bowl. It was the highest rated non-New Year's Six Bowl three, besides three the Citrus 0. Bowl. 3.0 overnight rating. That's and okay. that's, massive. And that's right. because the Citrus Bowl was played on New Year's Day on ABC. Okay, let me let me give you guys something. I have been, uh, I have been very, rather vocal about these situations. Right. And I've had some people say, well, why don't you at the NCAA, at the big – at the conference in question, at this, at that. The governing body of the person in question has already made their comment, right? I mean, Pac-12 said, no, okay. no, no comment, stand by it. Per NCAA rules in, in the bowl games, if national coordinator and three additional officiating coordinators from the FBS conferences shall be selected by the national coordinator and serve a period of three years, shall conduct a review this review group shall complete an evaluation of each postseason game, including controversy or concern. Those evaluations, along with a written summary, shall be submitted to all FBS conference commissioners within, wait for it, within 90 days of the final bowl game. Oh. <laughs> What's the point? 90, 90 stinking days. We'll be ready to kick off against uh, Central Michigan by the time anything if if anything comes out of this. The performance evaluation results from the process identified 
should be supplemental information in determining future postseason officiating assignments. That's by the NCAA rules. So, nothing, nothing it's done. It's over with. Yeah. It's over with. And can, we'll, can, I, can I say something I heard yeah. from an official friend I know? Yeah. There's actually quite a few uh, officials in college football from uh, the city of Louisville. Yeah. Quite a few. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the remarks I heard was that the whole Pac-12 recorrey claims the, the Pac-12 referees as a whole are terrible and don't hold themselves accountable. Wow. Well, and, did this same, this same guy get in trouble two, three years ago in a Pac-12 game yeah. for a big fight that broke out? That um, it, was, it was really controversial. I don't remember yeah, what the – Yeah, there was that. And then there was the, the pinstripe bowl where the field goal was good, but he said it was no good. Uh, That's right. Uh, the game. I, don't know, this, I don't know who you guys has, are talking this about. This guy has been the center of attention for quite some time for I, I all the wrong reasons. I don't, I don't the, the know good, who you're talking the about. The good thing is, is, at the end of the day, Benny Snell did get some attention out good. of it. And on SportsCenter – they showed more highlights of Benny talking about it, doing his um, – I, I, I just love to play football. i got a passion for the game. They showed yeah. that more than highlights. Freddie, did you like the way that Benny handled the situation? I, I love the way Benny Snow handled the situation. And, again, I want to re, restate something. This is not sour grapes about a loss. I respect and loved the way that Pat Fitzgerald and Mark Stoops approached this football game. They were both, they were both in Excellent. it to win it. At their Pat press Fitz, conference, Pat they Fitzgerald. were like they were like kind of buddy buddy talking like helping each other. Pat Fitzgerald went for it on fourth down six times. Mark Stoops <laughs> goes for two. We'll talk about that later. They were they were hitting it to win it. I love their. He approach. went for it on fourth down on their own forty yard line six times. Okay, let's that get was, to the next one. That wasn't a great call. That was that was ballsy. The, the reverse. That was ballsy. <laughs> He's in it to win it. <laughs> it's an exhibition game. That entire press box just was like, what in the world are they doing? I loved it. I was on the sidelines. I was I was clapping oh, for Pat Fitzgerald. Man. I have a ton of respect. I was at a luncheon with Northwestern. I met Fitzgerald. I, I have a ton of respect for that program. Would you, would you play for him? I would. I would. Well, no, because I couldn't get into that school. But, but if I was smart. <laughs> Steven Johnson's late hit out of bounds. Okay, there were four fouls on that penalty in my on that play. In my opinion, now the per, the person that was chasing the play that's responsible for quarterback safety, and for managing how a quarterback is handled in and out of the pocket, saw it in a different way. Let me read you the rules here. There should be no piling on, falling on, falling on, or throwing the body of an opponent after the ball becomes dead. The ball becomes dead once you cross the out-of-bounds line. Yep. No opponent shall tackle or block up a carrier, simulated carrier, when he's clearly out-of-bounds or throw him to the ground after the ball becomes dead out-of-bounds. It's illegal for any player to be clearly out-of-bounds when he initiates contact against an opponent who is out-of-bounds. Hmm. Whoa. Hmm. Okay. Another game-changing moment. In the Music City fiasco, in that godforsaken city in Tennessee, <laughs> Stephen Johnson was hit out of bounds. The initial contact was out of bounds. He was ridden way out of bounds, like a rodeo. I asked a friend of mine who is an industrial engineer. This is this is all seriousness. I said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to analyze the picture. See where Steven Johnson's feet were in relation to the out-of-bounds line. Factor in that he's 74 inches tall. And tell me how far out of bounds Steven Johnson was with the Northwestern player laying on top of him. He said, I can't give you an exact, but it's around 16.2 feet. Oh, my God, that should have been an ejection on the Northwestern player. In my in my interpretation of the rules that I just read, that should have been a 15-yard penalty mm-hmm. behind the line of scrimmage how do you know johnson's still not in a throwing motion that could have been rough in the pass or that could have been a late hit mm-hmm. and a personal foul in kentucky you would have had the ball in what like the 20 yeah. after that but what also ha- the clock could have stopped the, the clock could have stopped because an injured player is 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 is, is on the playing field, field because play. it's extended to the out of bounds level right there was no flag called on Northwestern's number 97, who's a heck of a player, Graziano. He, 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 he's good. He's good. Yeah. Good player. Wayne and Young learned. I have not. <laughs> he's listened. good. I am not blasting him at all. But there was not a flag called on the Northwestern team when the Kentucky's quarterback is laying 16.2 feet out of bounds with his head on the turf in a 
badly injured shoulder. Why was that? Is that what the... There should be no falling on or throwing the body of an opponent after the ball becomes dead. Hmm. It is illegal for a player to be clearly out of bounds when he initiates the block or tackle against an opponent who is out of bounds. This is from the NCAA rulebook. I'm not I'm not an official, and I never could be. But my interpretation here is there's about three or four missed calls within this one play. Okay, what happens? Mark Stoops keeps his cool because he's saying my, my quarterback is injured. What are we doing here? It wasn't him that, that got was not mouthing off. A flag was called, but it was against Kentucky. Takes Kentucky out of field goal position. Another game-changing missed call. Bad call in my interpretation. Now, other people's interpretation of this rule may be an imperfect call. That's why I'm not naming names or saying this person and the other one. But the way I just read that seems to me that that would have been a penalty on Northwestern. Kentucky would have gone forward. But instead, Kentucky's quarterback is carted off the field with a separated shoulder. You know what, Freddie? I, if I was on that Kentucky sideline, I probably would have got a 15-yard penalty no matter what happened which, which if my brings, quarterback got taken to the turf. Which brings me like to that. another point, Nicholas Roush. This team has learned its lesson for the 99.9% of the Kentucky Wildcat players listened to Mitch Barnhart, Mark Stoops, and the fan base when they said, we don't want to see that crap that happened against Louisville. If there was ever a time for retaliation <laughs> by the coaches and the players, it, was, it would have been against Northwestern. Good job, players. Only one time I saw that, and that's when Jordan Jones slapped the back of the head of a, of a Northwestern player that caused right, a good call, 15-yard person to file. You know, you know what I noticed on that, Freddie? What's that? Because I thought it was silly that he got he actually got flagged before he hit the kid in the helmet with the thing. Really? I think he I think he said something he wasn't supposed to. He hit him twice. I, I was right Oh, there. he did? Yeah. It he, was twice? Yeah. Because the, the second, second time was like a, that a boy. I loved that. The first time was in the back of the head like uh, a slap. Because I guess the yeah. second one he was trying to do the like, oh, that's what I was just yeah, doing. We're <laughs> just bros here. We're, no, no, hey, we're, we're, we're all good. Yeah. I so, think he saw the, fl- the flag come in and tried to make nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so we've talked about um, the quarterback. We've talked, and then Drew Barker comes in, and and Drew obviously, uh, not for sure his mind was on this game, uh, not for sure that he was ready to play, and it showed. Um, Kentucky without its best player, without its quarterback, odds are pretty much against the Cats, down seventeen to seven. Rabel to stay in it though. Okay. Yeah. And then, Benny Snell gets the football. No, no, no. no I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm Sahim. sorry. I'm sorry. Sahim King gets the football, jumps and is hit by linebacker Patty Fisher. My question, and was a targeting call. Fisher's arms are clearly around King. His, his head was in the chest. Right in the solar plex. Right in the solar plex. So it's, what, that's what it, they teach you, right? Yeah, Stick it right yeah, in the chest, that sternum, that solar plex. So, so my question, to, my question and, and listen, my first priority in football is player safety. And we've talked about this how many times. I want this crap to end. I want to see players safe. I don't want to see targeting. I do not want to see paralyzation or death on the football field. Player safety is and always will be my first priority. But my question is, if that's targeting – to me, it, it appeared to be a textbook tackle. Is Fisher supposed to say, okay, go ahead and jump, Sahim King, and tell me when you're ready to fall so I can grab your legs? When I'm when Fisher is running 20 yards as hard as he can to make a tackle, is he supposed to wait on the player to jump, land, and then grab the ankles? According to the, or to the refs, apparently. Does the trajectory of, the, uh, of, of King's body – alter the the way that Patty Fisher hit him. Patty Fisher's ejection to me was as heartbreaking and as dampening it dampened my experience at the bowl game as much as the Benny Snell ejection. Because in my and I've told you all this in the pre in the pregames. Patty Fisher is the best freshman linebacker I've seen play. Ever. Ever? Ever. Ever. There's two of them that I thought was really, really good. One guy by the name of Derek Thomas that you may have heard of. Yeah, I've heard of him. And Patty Fisher. Patty Fisher is 
did you not – I mean, he was dominating Kentucky. He was sideline to sideline. He was smacking. He was rolling. He was, he was doing, ready to go. He was ready to go. And you, I can't tell – again, for you basketball people, Stephen Curry. Steph. Steph Curry, John Wall. You pay a lot of money to watch those guys go at it, right? You're excited about those guys because that's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Patty Fisher, Benny Snell, I'm excited about that. That's a once-in-a-lifetime deal because I really don't watch the NFL. Next mm-hmm. time they play against each other is going to be on Sundays. Patty Fisher rejection. Can I, can I? Enter, enter okay, the okay. words of Pat Fitzgerald, who is the head coach at Northwestern. Northwestern is an academic school that takes pride in its medical school. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald is an ethical man, good coach. And I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Didn't that article on Yahoo say that that was the worst call he'd ever seen in the history of football? He said something along the lines of, "If that if that's not uh, if that's targeting, I don't know what a real tackle is." Okay, so and he might know a thing about tackling. He, he was an all American, right? He, you know, well, he might let, it might be a little experience in that field. Let, if let, I, let's give a little uh, background on Pat Fitzgerald's uh, ability to talk about tackling. Hmm, he coached his team to a ten win season that didn't have ten win talent. He's got a winning record at an impossible place to coach. And he was an All-American linebacker in college. He knows about tackling. He's done it a couple times. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just not me saying, well, why? <laughs> okay, targeting? Okay, do what you want to with that. The trajectory was changed. His head hit. His arms are around. Whatever. But kicking him out of the game? I felt cheated. Was, I felt cheated. It was a pretty obvious makeup call for me. I mean, like that. Yeah. Was, I mean, if you were at the game, where you you guys were at the game, our fans just pretty much booed continually for like ten minutes, regardless of <laughs> what was happening in front of them. You know, halftime didn't matter. Break. We were just booing, and it kind of reminded me of. I remember in two thousand two, the what ended up being the Bluegrass Miracle when we lost to LSU. R.J. Spinner fumbled. This was before review. <sighs> Do you remember this game? No. R.J. Spinner fumbled, and, like, basically he was walking back to the huddle and pitched the ball back to the ref, and they called it a fumble. Mm-hmm. And he hadn't fumbled all year. And the fans, like, at any point, someone in the stands could boo, and all the fans would boo. <laughs> like, it was just all focused in, in on that. And um, I just felt like this was a this was something to swing the momentum – or not to swing the momentum, but to swing a little bit of those boos back to middle – I don't know how realistic that is. But I think Kentucky fans booed it, too. I, I think mean, they, they did, too. I think it was a bad call. I think they were booing it being a bad call. But I, it just seemed like an obvious moment that the rest were like, oh, we can throw, we can throw this guy out. I just I – don't, I don't know who's in charge of making the rules. If it's Mark Emmert, obviously they're going to be flawed. But hmm. I don't know why that targeting is pu- – like the penalty for it is ejection. Like de- – there should be some gray area with this. <laughs> question. I mean, is he ejected for the first half of next year's game? No, no. It, okay. it's not unless you're a second half ejection. But it the fact that it, an ejection is even, like, on the table at all is ridiculous. Like, why can't it just be a 15-yarder? Like, unless the a dude – second sportsmanlike un, or unsportsmanlike you understand. Yes, but, yeah, exactly. You're a repeat offender. But, like, I don't – I mean, the worst part was that call wasn't made on the field. They went to upstairs. They went to the booth yep. and did it. I don't I, – so, I, I mean – out of all the things we got into that we've gotten into today, it's the most inexplicable because I think it really just came out of nowhere, and I don't know how you fix that problem. I don't know what you do other than you say, "Hey, you don't get ejected on the first one," because college football's targeting rule is just crap on I, all fronts. Again, how many times I have to say this, write this, player safety targeting? I love it. I think it's great. We need to clean up the game. We need to make it safer. We need to make it more fun for young people to play. And I can't say and write that enough, and I've done enough that I'm on a record. Launch. A player leaving his feet to attack an opponent by an upward and forward thrust of the body can make forcible contact in the head or neck areas targeting. A crouch following by an upward forward thrust to attack with forcible contact with the head or neck area, even though one or both feet on the ground is targeting. Le- <laughs> leading with a helmet shoulder, forearm, fist, hand, or elbow to attack with forcible contact at the head or neck area is targeting. Lowering the head before attacking by initiating forcible contact with the crown of the helmet. My question is, 
we only care about the safety and well-being of offensive players. Where in the hell is the targeting player Kyle on the quarterback who is crouched, lunging with the crown of his helmet to hit the nose tackle and the quarterback sneak? A la Ryan Chase here, right? Yeah. That is, by rule, targeting, is it not? I'm, have we ever seen an offensive? No, I counted. Personal foul like that? I counted just – and that's that's a something. How many times a running back put their head down and, and go forward, right? That's true. Right? Okay, I'm not saying offense, defense. Let's just take that because I think that's ridiculous. I counted 29 targeting calls that were not called in the two semifinal games. I had my pad of paper out. I had my rules that I'm reading out. I'm reading the rules. I'm watching the game. I counted 29 that was not called. Targeting. On the biggest stage. Targeting is like holding now. If you force it by definition, it happens it's on every play. play. If targeting isn't happening on every play, then explain to me why you see football players after the game have gashes and pain all over their helmet. That technically shouldn't happen, right? The grass called it, okay. caused it. So I'm not saying don't call targeting. I'm not saying if it's a helmet, a helmet egregious, above the neck, trying to hurt a defensive player, throw them out of the game – Get them out of the game for two games. That's fine with me. But if you're enforcing the rules as they are written, written and subjectively ejecting players, I know this is not great radio, but I brought up a few pictures. Is that targeting, yes or no, by the rules? Yes. Mike Edwards should have been ejected for his hit on Jalen Hurts. Oh, this is Mike Edwards hitting an EKU player in the knee with a helmet. Is that not ejecting? Is that not targeting? His head is is up, but I mean they threw out <laughs> they threw out Fisher for his head. Face being up. mask is part of the helmet. Face mask making initial contact on the thigh pad, targeting. Hmm. That's what Patty Fisher got ejected for. Man, that is a great form tackle. <laughs> Again, it was just right in the dead protect, center too. Protect the player, blatant. but if you're going to call and eject a great player like Patty Fisher on a on a tic tac tic tac questionable situation, then why not call it on every play because it happens on every play. This needs to get – somebody needs to get control of this and explain to me why. If by rules a quarterback that's in a crouched position can lean forward, go forward, force contact with a nose tackle with a crown of the helmet, is not targeting. Is, is it a rule? I'm asking you guys. Can an offensive player be called for targeting? Or do we only care about the health and safety we of had, the offensive players? We had an offensive player call for targeting. Lynn Bowden got ejected. On a block. Yeah. I'm block. talking about a ball carrier. Gotcha. Mm, I've never seen it. Is that not mm-hmm. worth a conversation by somebody to explain to me why? Or us why? Or not? Or am I being out of – am I being – I mean, I, I'm asking I you think guys. Your overall I, po- I think your overall point here, Freddie. Yeah. That, that – is 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 being revealed. Football is a violent game. There's going to be some violent hits. It's pretty hard to clean it up. It's if you're impossible. going to get to nitpicking like that, at some point you're just making a sacrifice. And you need – I guess they're trying to say, hey, your ejection means that it is, uh, the, um, is the deterrence. They're, they're going about a deterrent method. And if, I like – I'm for that. But they haven't figured out how to properly use it. Right. Well, it's kind of like anything too. I mean – where uh, the spotlight is always going to be on where the ball is, you know, and obviously you're not tackling away from the ball, but offensive and defensive linemen are hitting each other helmet to helmet right at the point of attack all the time. But that's not where the focus is. It's kind of like it was like the the other day, you know, it, it, he ended up getting called for a block, but Diallo took the charge from like a non-ball carrier, you know, or tried to yeah. take the charge. Any th- Those things happen. I mean, there's pushing and shoving that happens in basketball. There's – you know, fouls and penalties that happen in football. Yeah. But if it's away from the focus of where the ball is, it's just probably not going to get the attention it deserves. And it doesn't make it any less right or wrong, no, to your point. No, I'm just – It's just not going to get it. I'm asking questions here. I'm not saying, hey, I'm right and everybody's wrong. I, I'm, I'm asking legitimate questions that I want somebody to explain to me. Freddie, I have a legitimate question for you. All right. So, there's – obviously, throughout the year, there's always going to be some bad calls. Yeah. And you're never one to. I've never criticized a referee. Yeah, you're like normally it's and never not even now, a topic right. of conversation. Right. 
what what has made you so incensed? Why why, why this time? I am, Is it I because am, I am a protective. I'm a protector by nature. By nature, you all know that. All three of you know that personally, and it's been established personally in, in out of studio roles that I protect people. I, I protect you three. I am extremely protective and sensitive for fans because I understand what it was like to be a son of a coal miner for my dad to bust his tail to load us up to take us to Lexington to take us to a bowl game the sacrifice it makes because I'm a season ticket holder too the sacrifice it, it takes to go to a ball game a bowl game in my in my interpretation is an exe- is an exhibition it is a fan first event and should be a fan first let's have fun let's celebrate let this city make some money let the players have fun and when it is over officiated to the point of taking away the two premier players with questionable calls i became very protective of the fans from both northwestern and kentucky because they lost that opportunity to see the best players on the field. There were 50,000 people there. One. Two. I'm a, I am also a protective person. I lost objectivity in this game. I'm a protective person of the Kentucky Wildcats, especially the quarterback position. I became extremely protective of that play with Steven Johnson. I thought the rules were broken in my interpretation of the rules. And he was injured. It cost an injury. Yeah. It cost an injury and it changed the course of a game. That infuriated me. Seeing Patty Fisher, seeing, again, to the basketball people, that's like watching um, what's the kid at Oklahoma that Cal just said was better? Trey Young. Trey Young. Trey Young. Young. Yeah. That's like having an opportunity to watch Trey Young in my world. Right. Is watching Patty Fisher. And for him to get taken away from me being able to see him perform his duties and skills that I feel are on a, another planet level, I felt cheated. I felt that the fans got cheated from Northwestern. And the referee reaction after the game where he almost just scoffed it off and said, well, that's the rule. That's what, that's what happened. It, it was almost disrespectful. The reaction is an, is, was the final straw for me. The reaction. You're right, Jack. And then I have a rule. And I'm, I'm, most, I'm not going to break my rule in this podcast, but I have a rule. What I see, what I hear at the facility, in the locker room, I don't even tell you guys. I mm-hmm. tell nobody. Yep. That stays with me because I think what stays in the locker room, what happens should stay there. Sometimes I'm privy to that through my media roles with the network, and that stays with me. But I can tell you right now, there were some hurt Wildcats after that game. I'm not talking emotionally. There were some Wildcats that played prominent roles that were had to have assistants walking in private. Now, when they when they in front of the media and the fans, they got rid of the crutches. But that's how beat up that Wildcat team was that played their guts out. I was overprotective of that, which leads me to to one of our final points: go for two or not. Yes, I've talked Absolutely. to I've talked to six head coaches, active head coaches. Six out of six said, <laughs> "Yeah, I wouldn't even thought think twice about it." Here's my interpretation of why. Stephen Johnson was being held together by duct tape, by duct tape, Thread. and dental floss. Yeah, <laughs> and, saw, and elbow grease. I don't talk about what I see in the locker room. But I will tell you this, that was one beat-up football player. One play, he goes down in overtime. It's over. Yeah. Justin Jackson. He, man. Bad dude. Good. And, and the other guy, too, was really good. Their cutbacks. Yeah. I felt bad for Josh Allen because he had a couple of those plays where you're squeezing. Yeah. yeah. And they just made incredible cuts. And yeah. it's like, what do you do? I feel, I feel, even though Kentucky had the better field goal kicker, Kentucky's one hit, one more hit. On Steven Johnson, and it's over. Well, not to mention our defense has been on the field for an eternity. For, forever. And I and I enjoyed the way that Patty, F- Patty Fisher – I'm sorry, Patty Fisher. I just followed him on Twitter. If I don't follow players on Twitter, 
fan. Pat, Pat Fitzgerald. No, I am a fanboy. All right, listen, Edo Smith, you're gone now. Patty Fisher, <laughs> you're in. Pat Fitzgerald and Mark Stoops played or coached the game to win. In that situation, in that momentum, why not roll for it? Then people say, why don't you roll this way? I'm not sure Steven Johnson could roll four yards after the beating that he took. You know the hit that he took in that touchdown? That about killed him. It was a hell of a hit. He okay. jumped up, and I was like, I, don't, I, I would definitely wouldn't have jumped what, up there. How you see these players walk around and carry themselves on the field, as soon as they get in the tunnel in the locker room, totally different. And that that was the way when I played too. Now you'd have you'd have to almost carry me if I was dead off the field, right? Right. I refused to be helped off the field. But as soon as I got in the locker room, give me those crutches. <laughs> you know, I mean that yeah. still happens. So. I think Mark Stoops made the right call. People have been saying, let's get aggressive. It was a choice route. It was. It, it could have been a pick route. It could have been a choice route. It, it was what it was, and, if, if and Ta- it was missed by two inches. Yeah, Ta- Taven jumps a half second later yeah. than he's able to get it at the top of the now, ra- route. Now, you bring up a good point, Nicholas Ralph. I'm protective. I'm, 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 I'm Papa Bear during this game because quarterback, Patty Fisher, the fans, I'm protecting. Right, right. perturbed me, right? Right. Kentucky played their guts out, but they didn't play a perfect game. No. no. Three drops. Oh. You had Taven Richardson on third down. You had the Lynn Bowden drop, and then you had the K-1 Ross drop on the offsides. Right. Kentucky hurt themselves on that. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Let's just be honest yeah. there. Let's just be honest. Can I also give them credit in another area that was pretty surprised with? Defensive. Their pass defense. Mm-hmm. Pass defense. I mean, the you, most critiqued unit on the field. I mean, even Courtney Love had a pass breakup in the end zone. That was That was remarkable. baller. You yeah. know why? Kentucky was so much more athletic than Northwestern on the edge. Kentucky DBs were way, way more athletic than Northwestern wide receivers. Kentucky wide receivers were more – remember we talked about this. Northwestern's only weakness was that cornerback. What does Kentucky do? Play one, yeah, play go action right pass, go, and go to the cornerback. Well, and, and Stoop said after the game that their game plan didn't change because Benny went out. I think that that was an over-exaggeration. <laughs> but the overall point was we were going to come out and throw it regardless because yeah. that was where we had an edge, was on the edge. Yeah. But going um, back to Benny Snell being yes. gone, Justin Jackson started slow. Yeah. So did Benny Snell. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that Benny Snell was not going to heat up in that game and that, and that, and that would have changed the course of the game. Again, I don't care about the wins and loss, win and loss in a ball game. I care about how that game could have played out for the fans. It was exciting. Mm-hmm. I feel that the second half made me less mad because the fans got their money's worth for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. They got totally ripped off for the first 30 minutes. The second 30 minutes, the fans got their money. Um, I, I two, so we actually had a conversation with uh, our friend Jacob Tammy. Came on uh, the new radio show on our first day. It's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, got a radio show now. Too. He's, he's big on I'm, us I'm now. A, I'm a big time. Oh, he, he's graduated. From I guess I'm Swiss cheese over here. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. But uh, no, you're, you're, he actually yeah. had an interesting take on the two point conversion. What, what, what was Jacob's take? His strategy uh-huh. would be take a delay of game. It's like whoa, whoa, take a delay of game. You're talking crazy now. Got he more goes. Room. He's like, yeah, I mean, it's hard to run anything. When you run a two-point play and you have to pass it, he's like, obviously you were going to have to throw it in that situation. It's a good call, Jacob. You can't develop – like, there's no time to develop routes or anything. It's read and throw it and make a play. Good call. There's no time, but he's like, but, man, I don't know if fans could have handled it if Mark Stoops – True. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they would have – Which Jacob, who who I absolutely love and is a friend, and I think he's brilliant. And I think as soon as he makes the decision to get into the media world – that I'm done. I think, and that's fine because he'd be way better than me. But here's my take: For you get it on the 25 yard line, you're going to ask Stephen Johnson, who was was asked the impossible task once Benny Snell was ejected. It was seven versus eleven. Benny John, Benny or Stephen Johnson versus eleven, right? Right. No running back, no threat. Linebackers were immediately dropping. Defensive linemen were immediately rushing, and Stephen Johnson threw for what 265. That's the gutsiest performance I've seen in a long time. You put that on the 25-yard line, advantage Northwestern. I'm sorry, Kentucky fans, you might not want to hear this. Kentucky would not have won that football game in overtime. That was Even though Kentucky did not allow a score in the second half, that set up because, again, Steven Johnson gets bumped. He's out. 
We would have had I mean, to rely on a turnout. I mean, they would have had to basically no, put the bed for it, us to. It would have had to have ended up like the Oklahoma Georgia game with a blocked field goal. Something weird would have had to happen, right? Uh, so again, okay, there, okay. Kentucky. Let's talk about the season a little bit. Ooh, can I? Can I? I'm going to make one more comment about Jacob's conversation. Right ahead. That I had. Um, that's been kind of. I think we've alluded to it a little bit. Yeah. But that game won him over. After the Louisville game, uh-huh. and his voice changed when he thought just about that Louisville game and how embarrassed he was mm-hmm. and how ashamed he was. Yeah, as a former player, an alum, a fan of the school, you could tell how disappointed he was in yeah. that Louisville team. Yeah. Kentucky's fight in that second half won him back and won a lot of fans back. Well, their ability to keep their composure throughout, handle adversity, and 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 they they really went back to their identity of what yeah. they were. Uh, the year before and through the first half of the season, which was no matter what hand we're dealt, we're going to fight through it and we're going to give our best. I, I don't think, Nick, you could you could have said that any better, and I totally agree. And I don't think it's been talked about enough, the composure that Kentucky held. But let's look at the season. Kentucky was favored in six games in 2017, 1-5. The only loss was at Ole Miss. Okay. okay. So seven games uh, was underdog, 1-2. So, in the experts' eyes, it, it predicted Kentucky to go 6-6, six and 6-7 six, six and seven to include the bowl game. So, Kentucky had a plus 2 to end up 7-6. and six. I, I think, you know, 7-6. and six. I predicted 8-5 and five with the bowl game uh, before the season. So, again, did this Kentucky team – It was close. It was close. You were very close. You were there. You even picked a one-point win, and you were uh, – Play away from <laughs> – I did. I, I picked a one-point – I picked a one-point win. Here, here's another reason, guys, that I feel that Kentucky made the right decision to go for two. Who is the country's best combined collective red zone team in America? Oh, yeah. Who would yeah, that I be? cited this to some of my friends. That would be the Northwestern Wildcats. You go for two. The only time they didn't con- – they, 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 <laughs> that was probably like their only non-touchdown in the red zone was that little trick play thing that they did. They tried. 36 out of 39 trips, Northwestern had scored touchdowns. And Kentucky stopped them. <laughs> let, 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 let me ask you a few questions before we get out of here, before, we, before I turn this over to Andrew. Did this loss galvanize the BBN? Absolutely. They galvanize. Uh-huh. Bring together. I yeah. thought that was like uh, – I thought galvanized was like when you take two medals and you put them together. Well, that's what I'm talking that's, about. You that's bring them together. And bringing and the fan base together again. Yeah, but I'm not a medal. Like, I'm not molding the Jack's head or Nick, anything. In, I would mold myself to that hair, this, though. You were in college for 47 This is where Nick talks himself years. out of not knowing what galvanized means. <laughs> hey, Ellie. It's just bringing the fan base together, Nick. Ellie, it's not that deep. Ellie, my daughter, seven years old, a little sick Let's today. Let's use baking terminology. Is laying on the floor, and, <laughs> and she, she just said she understands the definition of galvanized. Nick, you should be very, very Thank sure. Thank you, Ellie. Should have taken English yes, 101 a couple more times. Why, here's why it galvanized the fan base. There's two things that Kentucky fans will get behind. We will get behind pride in our own program, and then we will get behind hating something else. <laughs> And the moment that Benny Snell got ejected, Boom. Mark Stoops' inner self should have been smiling a huge smile mm-hmm. because this program forgot about – for that moment, this program and all the fan base forgot about the Florida loss. It forgot about the two uncovered receivers. It forgot about all those things. And it thought 100% collectively, we as a football fan base – hate those officials and we love our guys well i thought kentucky showed fight i thought composure was tremendous i thought mark stoops was tremendous because if there was any time for him to lose his mind it would have been against northwestern and and repercussions reciprocity against gaziano for that 16.2 feet head butt stephen johnson out of bounds players were restraining fellow players they learned their lesson. To me, that's a teachable moment, not just in football, for being a young man. Okay, Georgia Bama, who you got? Nicholas Roush. Let me start uh, off. Go dogs. I got Georgia. I'm cheering for Georgia. I'm worried that that win was, took the life out of them. I got Georgia winning the game outright. Who you got, Nick? I'm I'm, I'm cheering for Georgia, okay. but I have a feeling it'll I'm, be bad. I'm the same way. I'm cheering for Georgia. I think I think they put up a massive fight. And it's and just kind of fun. Yeah. Like I, I like I Georgia loved, fans. Loved, 
loved seeing Oklahoma get beat. How much fun was that game, too? It was, that was, that was one of the best football games I've ever seen. The, the whole New Year's Day was great because then at about 11 o'clock, Alabama had that pick six, and you're like, oh, well, I can yeah. go to bed now. It was yeah. a full day of football. After Oklahoma got beat, I, I don't care who won it, Georgia, Clemson, or Alabama. I just did not want Oklahoma <laughs> to win it. I'm Is it just, Baker? Are you anti-Baker? Yeah, I don't – I mean, I, I ain't much on him. Uh, but I just did not want Oklahoma to win the football game. You have to have a certain amount of substance to win a national championship. I thought Oklahoma was the prettiest team in America, yeah. but lacked the substance to win a national championship. It showed Georgia beat them. They're out. And it's an all-SEC final. Yeah, that's Andrew, right. I'm, who you got? I'm for Georgia, definitely for the SEC East. I think Bama will probably win. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm rooting for the dogs. Ellie, who you got, Georgia or Alabama? Okay. Oh, she's not she's interested. Hey, okay. b- before we go, Freddie, were you surprised um, when Drew Barker announced that he was going to transfer? No, I was not. I was think, not. And think I we'll think have some more. What? I think we'll have some more coming. Uh, transfers? I don't know. I, I never it, know. But here's my, here's my take on that. If they're going, if they're if they're going, just go, and let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. I am so sick of do I stay? Do I go? If you want to go, get the heck out. I'm sick of it. Go. Bye. All aboard the Terry train. I'm, it is, I'm all, it is the, all aboard now. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing against Choo-choo. Gunner Hoke, but it's Terry touchdown time, baby. You know, it's, I'm, it's a time. Hope, I'm a Hoke it's guy. A I, love, right I, Terry I love Gunner Hoke. I love Gunner Hoke, but, but man. But you, you know who the leading passer is returning right now? Lynn Bowden. Lynn Bowden. <laughs> we'll start him. I don't care. Andrew Andrew <laughs> squatted on that take months ago. But you know, what I, I, you know what I'm happy about? Steven Johnson, okay, my buddy now. Mm-hmm. Pass me up. I'm not going to get passed up this year. It's going to take it take a monstrous season for me to lose another spot. Can Can you share your moment you had with him after the game? Yeah, I, I'll try to uh, because it was emotional. Uh, Stephen, um, you know, as you know, visited my nephew, and as Andrew's going to get ready to talk about in a minute, I, I can't remember being a bigger fan. <clears throat> or loving or caring about the well-being of a Kentucky football player as much as I do Steven Johnson. My respect level for him is higher than any player I've ever watched as a fan and covered. So I saw him after the game, and and, 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 and Steven was one of the guys. I mean, he, he, he was barely walking, both shoulders gone. And, and I said, I, I told him, I said, look me in the eye, son. I said, uh, you know, I love you. I said, you're the toughest, uh, Ellie's in my lap, but you're the toughest that's ever played of any of us, meaning us, the the quarterback fraternity. And then I said a few more things, and and then I gave him a big hug. And it was a little bit of an emotional moment, to be quite honest with you. And um, I I usually don't do that, but it was the right situation. Everything that he's done for this program, and I saw again him go out – his last game as a Wildcat, he sacrificed a knee and two shoulders, and um, he'll never be forgotten by me. I feel like he got the senior day he deserved yeah. in this game because the Louisville game yeah. did not represent it, what he was as a player or as a person and that's with why the I wanted excess him to, garbage that happened. That's why I wanted him to look me in the eye because I wanted him to, to understand the sincerity of, of young man. I, I love you. Yeah, I'm proud of you. You're the toughest one of ever of us, and now you're one of us. And then I went on to recruit uh, him and Charles Walker to my golf team for the UK football alumni game. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I had to do a little recruiting afterwards, so I, I got that in. But we're going to close the show uh, with something special. Speaking of Steven Johnson, I, I will introduce this. Before the season, we uh, we talked about, or during the season, we talked about the Depth Chart uh, Podcast Tom Cannon Courage Award. And I think uh, the family voted, and it was a unanimous winner. And uh, I'm very proud to announce that Stephen Johnson will be as, as, as won and will be presented the Tom Cannon Courage Award for 2017. Now, the presentation, the award presentation, will be an event. Uh, it will be, uh, it will be something. I have spoken to Stephen. Andrew has spoken to Stephen, and Andrew, the floor is yours. Tell us about Tom Cannon. Yeah, I mean, obviously, got to honor Tom uh, really well. Back was that in the summer? Yeah, was that back in the summer before the football season started? And 
Um, some of the some of the final Kentucky fan experiences I had with Tom, uh, one was actually Stevens' first spring game, and you know he was running one side of the one side of the unit, and Drew was on the other, and he was making a case to me getting in my ear that I need to bring it up on the podcast. You know yeah. that we need to see Steven Johnson as our quarterback, and I was like, I don't know, man. That, not much meat on him. Like, I just don't know if he'll be tough enough. And, you know, joke's on me when it comes to that. Um, but he was always a huge fan of Stevens. And then the last game, football game, that Tom attended was the uh, South Carolina game last year. And that next Monday uh, is when the we first found out about the diagnosis and the presence of a of tumor and uh, the presence of, of the lymphoma. And we were in the hospital that day. If, if you know my family at all, um, we're kind of ridiculous in terms of um, like getting food and getting excess stuff. And so I, we were people up there in and out of the hospital and mom and I had made a trip up to Chick-fil-A and had as many chicken biscuits as the Chick-fil-A bags could hold. And, and, uh, and so we were, we were there and, and he was in the hospital visiting someone and, um, as as we were there, mom and I were sitting there, and she said, "Who's that? Who's that cute guy? Is that is that our quarterback? <laughs> Was that our quarterback on Saturday?" And I didn't know the players, and so he turned around, and I saw his fifteen on his backpack. And it's just ironic that he was a part of that. He was a part of that day, yeah, uh, in an unforeseen way. Um, gave us a lot of stuff to root for. I know that he gave Tom a lot to root for as he continued to uh, cheer on Kentucky, even even from hospital beds and then then ultimately at home and uh, and so it just means a lot that you know carrying out the in some ways the, the legacy and the fanhood of uh, both my sister and my brother-in-law uh, to be able to present that to Steven Johnson and for that to, to mean a lot to our family but but also just to mean a lot to being a wildcat Freddie thankful for you and dreaming that up for Andy and Murray promotions and and the stuff that that they're doing to help that and then ultimately just the, the UK program in general yeah, coming alongside. Well, uh, Jack Kane Ford is obviously Kane, involved, yep. and, and Kroger has has graciously offered to help, and uh, we will be making the announcement as far as the award presentation soon. Hell, and uh, hope to see as many folks that can make it out to come out to see sure, Stephen yeah. Johnson honored. Uh, with that, uh, Jack Kane Ford has been tremendous to us, and. Uh, we're driving a, a Ford truck right now. It's Ford Truck Month. You can go to Jack Kane Ford uh, uh, online or follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at Kane Ford Inc. And uh, see how you can save money on, on Ford Truck Month. And uh, they're, uh, I, I talked to them yesterday, met with them, and they were excited about uh, the presentation of the Tom Cannon Courage Award and excited that Stephen Johnson is the first uh, and annual uh, first winner, first honoree of the Tom Cannon Courage Award. Tom Cannon, a, a school teacher in Lexington, uh, died at a way, way too young age uh, and and left a beautiful uh, wife, Laura Eaton, and uh, just a wonderful family. And we're going to honor that family. And that's been the purpose of this award is to, is to highlight the way that Tom Cannon taught. He was an educator in Fayette County. He taught so many how to live. And towards the end, he taught a me and others how to die Mm -hmm. and i just find it fitting that that tom's courage is reminiscent of what we saw from stephen johnson so on behalf of the depth chart podcast crew i'd like to thank you for listening to this rant uh, today for listening to us for the rest of the season we're going to take some time off uh well-deserved time off and and we hope to continue this partnership with jack kane ford going forward and we hope to continue to bring you these depth chart podcasts. And uh, you just laughed. <laughs> Ellie, are you going to say goodbye for us? She's in my lap since so you can't tell me. Uh, but I'm going to tweet out some of the pictures we used as references throughout this podcast after it comes out so that you can see what we're talking about. And again, everybody makes mistakes. The, the individual in question uh, is paid to do a, a job, and, and we appreciate what he does. And, and we just uh, had some questions on some judgments that we would like to see some answers to, and, and uh, we wish everybody the very best. And, and, and I have a neighbor that's you talked about 
referees in Louisville. My neighbor is a college referee, and he and I have had some discussions, and he, I, you know, I just love the way his viewpoint is that the game is about the players. The game is about the fans. Let the players play. They're going to make mistakes. They're kids. They're young folks. And there's teachable moments for officials within the football game. And there's way, there's a fine line of protecting the integrity of the game and enforcing the rules and overstepping the boundaries and taking away the participants that the fans pay a lot of money to come see. And my final statement is I feel cheated about my Music City experience. We left the stadium. Dick Gabriel rode with me. Uh, I was out of gas. I hadn't eaten in about nine hours, and I refused to spend a dime in Nashville for the state of Tennessee. So we made it, uh, barely made it across the Kentucky border. I stopped and I got gas and I ate because I was not going to give a dime to the state of Tennessee or the city of Nashville for the, the fiasco that I saw on the field in the Music City Bowl. Thank you. God bless. Later. There ain't no way to hide.